0: Well, turn in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. I will do my best, beloved. I'm going to read Luke 13, verses 10 uh, through 21, uh, and then I'll pray and we'll dig into the Word together. Luke 13, verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years, years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which you work, which your work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen years, be loosed, from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And what shall I compare it? It is like the grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nest in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you, our great King, the only Sovereign, the Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality. God, we ask you um, to bless us this day. We give you all honor and praise. God, we pray that our souls would bless your holy name. God, we are aware when we enter your presence of our own sinfulness. God, of our discontent, our our lust, our greed, our bitterness. God, I pray in the name of Christ, through his shed blood, that you would hear our prayers and forgive us of our sins. God, we rejoice in your word that says that you will remove all our iniquity, that you will cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. Oh God, I pray that you would let us know that we are forgiven in Christ. Because of his death on our behalf, we stand free, that we have been loosed from the bondage to sin and death. God, we thank you for the great perfection that we receive in Christ, his righteousness credited to our account. We rejoice in that promise this morning. God, we pray for those who have lost life, Lord. Um, In our church this past week, God, we do remember now Winnie, Winnie McKee. God, we thank you for her years of faithful service to this church. God, we thank you for her love for youth and children. God, we thank you for making a a stalwart member. God, we thank you for the the long life given uh, together with Olin. God, we pray in the days ahead that you would comfort him as he continues to grieve for his dear wife. God, we pray for the family of Miss Sly, who passed away. God, we pray that you would comfort them uh, with the words of Scripture, that because we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, even so, you will take with those, take those to you who have fallen asleep. God, we pray that would continue to comfort the family this week. And God, we do pray for all those who have lost loved ones uh, who have served our country so faithfully. God, we pray that you would comfort them uh, in the fact that all who are asleep in Christ will one day be raised from the dead with a voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. And those who are left, we who are alive, will be caught up together with him in the air. And we will be with the Lord forever. God, I pray that we would encourage our hearts with these words this morning. Father, we pray for the gospel uh, to be preached uh, in our city. God, we pray that this morning that you bless the preaching of Reggie Hopkins at Calvary Baptist Church. God, we pray that you would make his words powerful, uh, in line with your spirit, that that church would be built up and refined, would be moved from one one degree of glory to the next. And God, we also pray for our own hearts now as we enter into a time of fixed worship. God, I pray that I may decrease and that you may increase. I pray that every word that is spoken, God, is, is directly led by your Spirit. I pray that the, 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 me, the, vo- the, the meditations of my heart would please you, would, would honor you. God, I pray that I am constrained to your text to give you glory. And God, I pray for the hearts of your people now. I pray that they would receive this word. God, that they would receive this invitation to receive your kingdom, God. Let us see Jesus, who he really is, God. Get all the glory in this hour. We love you, Lord. We ask you to bless us in Christ's name, amen. On November 11th, 1921, an unknown soldier that died during World War I was brought and interned at Arlington Cemetery in a three-level marble tomb. The soldier represents all of the unknown soldiers uh, whose bodies are not able to be identified. Uh, since July 2, 1937, uh, the tomb of the unknown soldier has been continuously guarded for 24 hours, seven days a week. A special unit was created called the 3rd U.S. Infantry Regiment in 1948, which bear the responsibility for guarding the tomb. They have been guarding the tomb ever since, regardless of the weather, uh, national disaster, or a terrorist attack, that tomb remains guarded. Uh, The requirements of these dedicated soldiers to receive the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier Guard identification badge is 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 so stringent, it is the second least badge awarded in the entire army. These men understand that the soldiers that they guard could be themselves one day or their closest friends. It is a great honor to guard that tomb. Uh, it is a great honor to watch the changing of the guard. I used to live in Washington, D.C., and I would go, uh, and there's this great sense of, of, of honor as you walk your way up to the tomb, as you walk through Arlington Cemetery and you see the flags and you see the, the perfectly lined uh, tombs, and you get to the tomb, and there is a sense of woe when you walk up there, a sense of honor and respect, what happens there. Most U.S. citizens, when they approach that tomb, feel that respect. But that does not happen all the time. On November 8, 2011, one of the soldiers was guarding the tomb, and there were tourists laughing and joking around, not giving due respect to those who had fallen the soldier heard the laughter, stopped his march, turned, and shouted, It is requested that everyone maintains a level of silence and respect. He turned and continued his march. You could have heard a pin drop that moment. The crowd went silent. They should have known better. They should have been shamed. They did not get it. They did not feel the sense of honor and respect, and they were shamed because of it. Beloved, there is a time and a place where people should be shamed for disrespect. Disrespecting those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our country is such a time and place. It takes courage to call people to honor We're going to look at a scene here in the life of Jesus where he demonstrates this kind of courage by shaming those who should have known better. Jesus has just finished a long discourse that begins in chapter 12, verse 3, all the way through where we finished last week, Luke 13, 9. The main point of this whole sermon is to get yourself ready for the day of the Lord. Judgment is coming. Are you ready? Now, right before the sermon, Jesus pronounces a bunch of woes upon the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. They were whitewashed tombs following the the, the law, but did not have an interchange of the heart. So Jesus finishes this sermon pleading with the crowd to repent and pleading with the Pharisees who are part of the crowd to also repent. And now we have this scene where Jesus shows an opportunity for the Pharisees to repent. So we see the scene change in verse 10 when he says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. The now shows the the change in scenery. But as you will see, he's still giving people an opportunity to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We're going to look at three things this morning Uh, The first is the kingdom of God is extended to the helpless. The kingdom of God extended to the helpless. Uh, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. Uh, Luke mentions in chapter 4, this was a common custom of Jesus. In in that same account in Luke 4, Jesus was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and found the place where it was written, and I quote, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. After reading those words in Isaiah, Jesus sat down, looked at the crowd and said, Today the Scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus correctly taught that all of the Scriptures should be interpreted about Him, about the Messiah all Scripture should be read through the lens of Jesus Christ. So we can assume that every time Jesus taught in the synagogue, He was helping people realize how you interpret the Scriptures, that who He was in the flesh. So I don't want you to miss this. Jesus is teaching before He performs miracles. The teaching is, is also how God extends grace to those who are helpless. It starts with the teaching ministry. And then the miracles that we see reinforce the teaching. This is how we are called to live. We, we speak the words of the gospel. And then our lives confirm what we speak and what we share. We know that the Bible says in Romans ten seventeen. so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So the real miracle, the miracle of regeneration where people's dead hearts are awakened comes through the hearing of the word of Christ. So this morning, as we hold up this book and preach from this word, we believe that a miracle will happen, that faith will happen through the hearing of the word of Christ. This is why we must preach the word. This is why we always must listen and heed the word of God. I pray as you hear the word this morning, today, that you would have faith, that you would realize that every word you hear today from this word is the kingdom of God extended to you. Will you accept it? Look at verse 11. We see the scene change. And behold... Luke draws the, the reader in to see what is happening. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten herself. Luke draws the attention of the reader to this woman who had this disabling spirit. So for 18 years, she was bent over. Uh, she could not fully straighten herself. Now remember the context. It would have been very rare for a disabled Woman to approach a rabbi to even be seen by a rabbi in, in the context of teaching. Women were very um, kind of the outcast of society. They were disrespected very, very readily, and 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 so were the disabled. So she was a woman and she was disabled. You can imagine that this woman was an outcast of society. Most women or most people probably assume that she was disabled. She couldn't straighten herself because of her sin. As we talked about last week, the the theme of the day was that you suffer suffer physically because of your sin against God. Jesus turned that on its head last week. So you could could imagine what was this this scene, this, 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 this shocking moment in the teaching of Jesus. And look what verse 12 says. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Jesus Jesus noticed her. Jesus sees her helplessness. Jesus sees her 18 years of affliction. Jesus saw her. She was not forgotten. Beloved, as, as Jesus has seen this woman, Jesus sees you. Jesus knows your pain. He knows your depression. He knows your affliction. He knows what is going on in your heart and your life. He knows. Because as Jesus saw this woman, we know that Jesus sees us. Jesus looks at you, not with anger, but as he did this woman, with compassion, full of grace. A rabbi should not be talking to a disabled woman. But Jesus is not your typical rabbi. We see this as a consistent theme throughout Luke. Jesus reaches out to the outcast, those who are on the fringes of society. Beloved, can I just stop for a moment? We have to have the heart of Jesus. We have to have a heart to reach people who are on the fringes of our society, people who don't look and act like us, people who may not always feel welcome in a setting like this, with a pastor wearing a shirt and tie. I know I look good, but you know, why are you laughing? We have to be welcoming to all people. We must. This was the heart of our Lord. Look what Jesus did in verses 12 and 13. Not only did he saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. See, notice that Jesus does not see faith in this woman. He does not see anything that would cause him to extend grace to her. He chose to extend grace on his own. Grace is an unmerited free gift extended by God undeservedly to those who are spiritually disabled. Jesus said, to us as to her, you are freed from your disability. The same word for freed there is the same word we saw in, in Luke four eighteen To set free. Jesus came to set at liberty those who were oppressed. Jesus frees the woman from her oppression. Now we know from the passage that the oppression that she felt was put on her by Satan himself. She was bound by Satan. And has been set free from her oppression. Jesus teaches the truth, then shows the truth so that you will believe the truth. That's the, that's the progression of Jesus. Jesus teaches, he performs a miracle so that you will believe the truth. It's all about will you believe the truth about Jesus Christ? The woman had no problem believing, she stood straight and she glorified God. Imagine living for 18 years not being able to straighten yourself and not being able to reach in your cupboards, not being able to reach up on top of a shelf, not being able to reach to, to hug the neck of a loved one. You can imagine the, the, the anguish and the pain. Now, she would have known life. The, idea, the picture here is that she's an older woman. The, she would have known life where she could walk straight. Those of you who have chronic pain know this. You remember what life was like when you didn't have pain, but now you do. And you know the anguish that comes with it. That's the that's a cross the Lord has caused you to bear, and you walk through it, and God's grace is sufficient. But it's hard. It's hard for this woman. This would have caused extreme joy. I mean, don't you just want when when you see this, say, Woo! Wake you up, right? A sense of excitement. There is joy. See, the, the book, the Bible is not a book of rules. The Bible is a book of glory. This book highlights the glory of God unleashed on unrighteous sinners. I mean, have you experienced this straightening? One of the greatest misconceptions of the world as they that they believe that they must get themselves right before I can come to God i got to clean myself up first before I become a Christian. Beloved, the exact opposite is true. The Bible says that we are spiritually disabled. There is nothing we can do. We are helpless. We are unable to straighten out our lives. We need God to extend His hand and to grant us His healing touch and to free us from our oppression. The way God extends His healing hand in our society and our time is through the preaching of the Word of God. The Word of God is extended to you every Sunday morning so that you would hear and believe. The preached Word is God's invitation for you to come to Him. And guess what? When you come, He will make you straight. He will straighten you. He will change your life. He will change your desires. He will give you victory over your sin. No soldier who has served in combat is ready for combat the day they enlist. They got to go to boot camp. They are tested. They are tried. They are trained. Listen to 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, in trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. See, we have been enlisted by God as one of His soldiers, our aim is now to please the one who enlisted us into His kingdom. We do not have everything down day one. <laughs> we don't have everything down day one, but day by day the Lord will grow us and give us a new direction because He's changed our whole, our whole course of action. We no longer care about civilian pursuits for our aim is to please God. We want to live for God and His glory. That's what happens when we become Christians. So if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, God is extending an invitation to you to enlist in His army, to join His kingdom. And here's the one thing you must do. You must renounce your rights as a citizen of this world and become a soldier of Jesus Christ and a citizen of heaven. Jesus offers Himself to you this morning. He offers you His perfect life, His sacrificial death, His death-conquering resurrection. He offers to take all of your iniquity, all of your sin, and give you His righteous perfection. All you must do is enlist. Submit to the king. The invitation is extended. How will you respond? Not everyone responds with grace to this invitation. Second point, the kingdom of God irritated the hard-hearted. The kingdom of God irritated the hard-hearted. Verse 14, But the ruler of the synagogue was indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And said to the people, there are six days in which, you, in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath. This story is called a mere account. Uh, it's very similar to the story in Luke chapter 6. Uh, Jesus heals a man on the, ha- on the Sabbath and exposes the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. So we have to ask ourselves, why did Jesus place this story at this place in Luke's Gospel. Now remember that the Holy Spirit not only um, inspired every word of the Bible, He inspired the order in which the Bible is arranged. That's very important for us. I mean, Jesus did a lot of miracles and He taught a lot. Not all His teachings and not all His miracles are, are, are spoken about in the Scriptures. So why is this passage given to us here at this point of Luke's Gospel? I believe it's to show how the, the Pharisees continue to harden their heart against Jesus' teaching. I mean, they wouldn't listen to his teaching. He just finished a, a long sermon, two chapters of a sermon, uh, just explaining that um, the end is coming. Prepare yourself for the day of judgment. Even he finished with that, that story at the end is that I'm going to give the, the fig tree a little bit more time, a little bit more time before I come and cut it down. See, Jesus is not cruel. He's loving in his warnings. Luke places the story here to show us that a tree, what it looks like for a tree not to bear fruit. This ruler of the synagogue does not address Jesus directly, but indignantly speaks to the people. Notice that? He doesn't talk to Jesus, who just healed this woman. He speaks to the crowd. There are six days that you could come and be healed. You need to wait for Monday or so at this day it was it was Saturday. You need to wait till tomorrow to be healed. Can you imagine telling a woman that? She's been leaned over for eighteen years. Come back tomorrow. They cared more about the tradition of the elders and the spirit of the law who gave it. The elders were so nervous that people would break the Sabbath law, they added restriction after restriction of what was allowed to happen on the Sabbath. The Sabbath became a day of constant rule following rather than rest and the enjoyment of God. The Sabbath rest has not ceased in Christ, but He has been redefined to enhance our worship. Now, beloved, we are called to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy I think if Jesus was around today, he'd probably speak more to the, to the church to say, honor the Sabbath, you know, take time to, to rest in your, you know, your work six days a week and, and come and gather with God's people. Too often we, we look at Sunday as an optional day of rest and worship. The Bible does not speak that way. Our culture is so busy, we may need to spend more time thinking about the meaning and purpose of our Sabbath rest. And can I just warn you, as summer gets started, we are going to, uh, our our pace kind of shifts. We're going to be traveling more and more. But as our pace slows down, our worship should increase. So use this opportunity this summer to increase your worship. Do not allow summer to hinder your gathering with God's people. Use that a time to, to reflect and refresh and to enhance your worship. But we see here, the hypocrisy of the ruler of the synagogue. He should should know the spirit of the law. He was the ruler of the synagogue. He knew the scriptures. He should rejoice that God's power would be displayed, that we could glorify God on the Sabbath. But instead, he was irritated. He was indignant that Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. So Jesus takes this opportunity to shame the ruler and those who were with him who did not respect the God who gave the Sabbath. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 15 through 17. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced in the glorious things that were done by him. You see, a pin could have dropped at that moment. Jesus stood up to the ruler of the synagogue and shamed him because he got it wrong. He should have known better. Jesus makes a clear statement that these men cared more about their own animals than they did about the daughter of Abraham. If I would just step over here, your dog and your cat are not more important than God's people. That one's free. Jesus shames these Jews who would set free their bound animals on the Sabbath, but would not set free this bound woman. They were shamed. They should have known better. Their hypocrisy was evident to all. They could not argue it. They could not argue with Jesus' logic. The passage also shows this, this, this long battle between God and Satan. Satan kept this woman bound for 18 years, and Jesus came to set her free. There is a very real battle between God and Satan, between God's people and the demonic world. Here, God's people were not fighting with God, but were fighting against Him. Satan is called the adversary. And in this passage, the people who should have been God's people, the Jews, the ruler of the synagogue, the one who worshipped Yahweh, they were called adversaries, sharing the name of Satan himself. See, people will either be against Jesus or for Jesus. There is no middle ground. First Thessalonians 2.15 says that the Jews, that they both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and they drove out the apostles and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering them from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the full measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. See, these Jews were not trying to enforce the Sabbath, but in misapplying the Word, they were fighting against Jesus Christ. Hear me. If you misapply the Word of God or misinterpret it, you could be fighting against God. That should cause us pause to make sure we know what we're talking about when we're talking of the things of God. These people were fighting against Jesus Christ they become adversaries. It's a scary thing that the Jews really believed they were fighting alongside of the Lord. We saw that with was Saul of Tarsus who persecuted Christians, who went after to kill Christians because he believed they were fighting against God until that faithful day on Damascus Road when the, when the bright light flashed and he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why are you fighting against me? Why are you an adversary against me? me. We can know the Bible, but if we misinterpret it, we may be fighting against our Lord. Christianity is not always neat. The Bible is not always easy to understand. And there are times in the life of a church or in the life of our own walk with the Lord where we need to be shamed so that we would not shift and go the way of the tempter so that we would not be loosed, so we can't be loosed from the bondage of our enemy. Life is a war, and we are soldiers. We must make sure that we're fighting on the right side. Luke closes this section by connecting this scene with an explanation, and we'll close here, our last point, the kingdom of God explained to the hearers. In verse 18, Jesus starts to teach about the kingdom of God. Uh, We know his teaching is connected because we see, He said, therefore... So, therefore, we know why it's there. Look at verses 18 through 21. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like the grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? Is it like a leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened? Both analogies explain the kingdom of God starts very small and inconspicuous, yet grows. The mustard seed is a very small seed, and it grows to a very large bush or tree. A little leaven hidden in three measures of flowers would produce 30 to 50 pounds of bread. So in both cases, we see it starts small and grows substantially. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It starts small inconspicuous but it will grow to cover the whole earth habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the lord as the waters covers the sea but for those who oppose god those who are his adversaries and seek their own glory the prophet says this the cup of the lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory See, the kingdom of God may start small, but it will fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. The whole earth will be filled of the knowledge of the glory of God. Jesus ties the display of the power to this woman, of the power displayed in the kingdom of God. Jesus freed this woman from the bondage to Satan and God is still freeing people from the bondage to Satan through the preaching of the Word of God. If you would hear and believe, you'd be set free from your oppression of the evil one. See, Satan's time is up. The kingdom of God has come. The battle is still raging, but the beginning of the end has come. It's only a matter of time. Let me conclude. At the close of World War II, There were 513 men held as prisoners of war at a prison camp in Japan. The prisoners had heard that the U.S. forces were making progress, but they also heard that Japanese soldiers were executing all the POWs before their retreat. A mixed group of only 320 American and Filipino soldiers outflanked 8,000 Japanese troops to rescue the POWs. One of the, the rescuers... Alvie Robbins came across a prisoner. He was terrified, sitting in the corner of a cell with tears streaming down his face, saying, I thought we were forgotten. Robbins looked at the man and said, no, you're not forgotten. We've come for you. Friends, no matter what we face in this life, we must always know that we are not forgotten. The kingdom of God has been extended to us through His Son. Jesus Christ came to rescue us from our bondage to Satan. And one day, the trump will resound and the Lord will descend. And we will all know that we are not forgotten. We will see our rescuer face to face. And we will hear those glorious words, I have come for you. Our God has not forgotten us. He has promised us that his kingdom will cover the earth as the water covers the seas. Until then, beloved, we must fight the good fight of faith as good soldiers of Christ Jesus, making it our aim to please him who is worthy of honor and respect. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us honor and respect you who are worthy of both. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.